Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Burns. How you doing? Sun shining in New York, and I'm a happy guy. And we are very happy because we are happy to welcome Peter Jenkinson from Toyology. And But first, this is the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne with Richard Gottlieb, and we are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the Toy Guy, and Chizcom. And Peter Jenkinson of Toyology, welcome. Thank you for being with us. It's so nice to be here. I'm a little bit disappointed that we don't have any sun in London. I think it's um, it's just started to drizzle, which is the worst kind of weather because it, it really isn't weather, is it? It's just a little bit of wet in your fat. It just doesn't, there's nothing about drizzle that's good. And I think we've got at least two months of it now. But I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> well, hate well, the, the drizzle. Uh-huh. The drizzle. <laughs> Hopefully we'll, we'll brighten up the day for you. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about you and Toyology? So we started out, I'm a technology journalist by trade. I started out in 2002, kind of before mobile phone ubiquity. And the next decade, like to 2012, 13, every journalist wanted to be a technology journalist. So I'm like, I'm jumping out of this stuff. Um, And I had kids that were growing up. I need to specialize. So I jumped into toys um, and I've loved it ever since. I've kind of, I've got a little bit of a penchant, kind of a weird one, really. I love wooden toys, but I also love the techie toy stuff. So I've done a lot of work with CES um, and um, South by Southwest on uh, promoting that that, that side of the business. Um, And the business just evolved into where it started off as um, a blog, then more of a website offering info to parents and gift givers on how to save money on the plastic tat. And where we are today is uh, the business has evolved so much into uh, a, a place where I mean, we still write about toys. I would write about toys. I do a lot of trend analysis for UK media and European media. It's been tough this year, obviously. But we, um, we kind of made a move in late 2019. We were working with a big hotel group, uh, which hopefully you'll know called Accor, um, when we started to install toys into a couple of their hotel chains. So the business evolved there, uh, and we were starting to work with some train companies, some cruise companies, and various holiday theme parks, et cetera, to install board games and toys in, into their environments. Um, but, of course, this year that kind of went a little bit, <laughs> insert, insert swear word here. Uh, so we're cut, we're, but, but right now... The optimism has absolutely come back from all of those industries, and we're looking forward to next year to um, developing and, and, and putting some more of those toys into all of those places and, 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 and developing campaigns for them to raise their, their family friendliness. Can you just tell us a little bit about where you're from and what, how you happen to be here today? I'd love to. Uh, Richard, I am, um, my background is um, investment banking. Um, I worked on the Open Outcry Exchange. I worked on the uh, Comex Exchange in the Twin Towers for um, for a couple of years. Oh my God! Um, I worked on the CB uh, on the CME and the CBOT in Chicago. Um, I did all of that shouting and screaming trading back in the good old days ah. before before stupid computer trading came along and took away my edge. I jumped out of that in the late nineties. And then became, uh, I raised some funds for like eToys and eBay and did a lot of fund raising in the early days of dot-com before it all went a little bit pear-shaped. Um, 
and met my now wife, who was a journalist. And there were no technology journalists because technology was not important before ubiquity of mobile phones. So I jumped into that and then kind of just over time moved out and then moved into toys and just self-styled myself as an expert. And it's gone really well. So it's, um, it's, it's such a fantastic industry to work in. I'm not sure I've been around as long as you guys. It's my core thing now. And what I'm really passionate about is just getting toys into new and interesting places. Today is December 10th. When folks are hearing this, it's going to probably be January. So based on the world as we know it today, can you give our, our listeners kind of some insights on what's happening uh, in the, the toy business in the UK and right now? I think it's the one one of the few industries that's just adding uh, an element of optimism because all the stories that we hear about what's going on with toys is like we okay so maybe toy shortages is not a very positive thing but it make, just makes you quite excited people are buying toys it's been a fantastic year in the uk outdoor toys in the summer board games stem home learning education toys all of that stuff is done i mean i suppose my only reservation is if we bought so many toys this year and sales are up i think the npd said eight percent year on year can that continue i don't know we'll see now we're starting we've started to see some there's going to be shortages we've all read about the increase in freight charges which is ah uh, i don't know it's a bit exasperating i'll be fair the state of the market in the uk is great and it's one of the very few subjects that comes with a, an element of smile. You alluded to some programs that you are working on that place toys with things like hotels and cruise lines. Can you talk a little bit about those programs and, and how do toys qualify for that? And what's the experience for the user in those situations? Specifically, the one with the hotel group, it was to elevate their um, family offering because they were seeing more families wanting to spend more time together and just offering them something that probably wasn't the main focus of their holiday, but something they could do together in the reception area or a communal area or in their rooms. They definitely ticked into that. Um, and even recently when they've had no budgets, they've still been asking us for ideas of how they can make the family experience at the hotel more interesting. So we've been looking at escape room games in in their rooms that's been really cool it's the collaborative effect of toys and board games and just play generally that all of these travel and tourism targets so it's just offering something different just avoiding the obvious watching the digital or watching the in-house offering it's kind of the return to retro and a little bit of nostalgia as well and it's not just the playability of any board games that we install with these people it's just the talkability of it so you get a monopoly set not the best example, but on a train, let's say you're on a Eurostar from London to Amsterdam. But it's not just playing the game that's important. It's remembering how you used to play the game with your relatives in the past. And there's that chatter that goes with it. So I think they're all really understanding that there's a, there's just a, there's a big story that goes with it. It's not just the game itself. I'm curious about the logistics and the operations because <laughs> there are things like sanitation, there are things yeah. like shrinkage. There are things like liability. And that's one of the reasons that many places, at least in the U.S., don't want to put toys out in, say, a hotel lobby because they'll, they'll either walk away or if a child gets hurt on it, who's going to be who's liable? How do you deal with all of that? Because I, I think this is a great 
concept. So the liability we sign away almost immediately. In terms of walk away ability of the toys, it happens all the time. Pretty much 80% of all the toys that we install disappear. But we don't go for kind of high price point board games, for example, with lots of meeples in it, or not toys with too many pieces in it, or train sets. We wouldn't install a Hornby train set. It would always be a wooden train set that had replaceable parts. We account for that. We've always expected that. We didn't know how bad that was going to be, but it is really, really high. You operate have operated globally. You've lived in the United States. You're aware of the American culture. You're from the UK. You operate in the UK. Are there any insights that you can provide to our listeners regarding maybe differences in the UK or similarities in the UK and US toy markets uh, in terms of, say, taste and consumption, uh, etc.? That's a brilliant question. It's really interesting because I was just online the other day uh, doing a feature piece for one of the nationals over here um, on a particular subject um, and came across so many toys that we're just not going to get over here and we just won't expect. Um, I think uh, 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 one of the examples was present pets is over here and over there, but you've also got the monster trucks that unbox themselves. We're just never going to get that. Obviously, your market is much bigger. Over here, in my opinion, we are definitely scaling down on making big piles of toys and we're going for more considered purchases. We're going back to wooden. I think there's a lot more thought going into toy purchases over here. I don't know what it's going on over there. The ranges of toys you have over there is it's got to be doubled. Let's talk about uh, something else that's kind of looming continuously over the UK uh, is Brexit. And I'm just interested in, from your perspective, you know, I, I wonder to myself, will the UK end up having a closer economic relationship with the United States, as an example, where our cultures get more similar? What's going to be the, the economic implications, the logistical implications? Can you give us some of your views on what's happening? There's such a massive amount of ambiguity. And that's not just in the UK. And that's not just with Brexit. That's also with COVID and the rules and tiered ones and twos and Boris flying out at the last minute to do a Brexit deal. We don't know what he's doing. We don't have a clear message. We can't, I can't tell you anything because they don't even know anything. The big boys don't know what they're doing. I was asked the other day by a reporter, the toy industry was worried about the out of stocks as an example. And I said, I wouldn't describe it as worried. I would describe it as concerned. And so in your community there, the toy community, Worried, concerned, scared. Can you? What? What do you? What is the overall feeling? I, I, I think if we're in a different year, that well, we couldn't be because one leads to the other. The CV nineteen situation leads to the concerns and the short supply. We've been manic about toy shortages over the years. We've had the you know the cabbage patch frenzy, the juju frenzy. I do genuinely think that we're more than happy if we can't get exactly what we want that we'll kind of write a credit note for our kids and we'll get them something else that's a bit more interesting. I think the last few months has taught us how to kind of explain that to children and it's become easier to explain to children. But if you just can't get it and you just wait a little while, you'll get something in the interim. I think that's going to be one of the positive fallouts yeah. from this pandemic, which is we've Let's seen hope so. more emphasis on family time. We've seen what I'm calling tech fatigue, 
which is kids who spend six hours a day in front of a Zoom screen are worn out. So they are looking for other kinds of experiences. You do something that I haven't seen anywhere else, which is your board game club, your online board game club designed for 18 plus. And certainly with my experience in board games in the past, I know that the greatest way to sell a board game is to get someone to play it and build word of mouth that way. And talk a little bit about that because it seems like uh, you've done some online events, you've done some stuff, some reviewers, some reviews. Talk a little bit about how you go about that. Yeah, the board game club has been amazing. So it's been going for about five years. I set up with a, a friend of mine called Leslie Singleton uh, in the UK. And it was kind of designed, I suppose, it was just a way to get out on a Thursday night and have a few beers initially. Uh, but it's kind of morphed itself into a combination of journalists, board game bloggers, but also design, board game designers all coming together to just kind of play test things. Um, so we were doing that in a social environment um, once every other week. Uh, and it's worked really well. We've had a few products that have been uncovered there that have ended up to market. And since then, companies like Mojo Nation, I think you might be aware of in the UK, yeah. kind of they, they specialize in introducing like number one, like a guy who used to invent a board game could never get to Hasbro's chief guy. But the advent of things like Board Game Club and Mojo Nation, et cetera, has just, and, and also Kickstarter to a large extent, has enabled people to get to market with great ideas that maybe just wouldn't have ever made the cut. Um, yeah, and it's good fun. We're going to ask you the question that we are asking all our guests and tell us a secret. So I think on, yeah, I, I think on one of the, uh, maybe one of the toy installations that we maybe sold in as a premium brand, we might have gone sub premium brand, but nobody ever noticed. That's a great secret because really, if you deliver the experience to kids, what does, what does the brand mean? One of the things I talk about with kids all the time is they don't care if Hot Wheels is made by Mattel. They just know they want Hot Wheels. They don't care. They don't care about MGA. They like LOL Surprise. So it's no, really you make a really good point. Uh, we just delivered trains on tracks, and they were fun. Right, and and the kids are not as discriminatory. It's not like you're trying. That's not a real Louis Vuitton. You know, they're not. They're not. They don't go there. <laughs> oh, true enough. Absolutely. Before we wrap this up, we're going to ask you to uh, polish off your crystal ball, and we won't hold you to this, but what are you seeing as being ahead in 21, both for the toy industry and for your company? Looking ahead to 2021, we're going to move into a much more big ticket item environment, better quality toys with more longevity that are shelf worthy, that parents don't mind being out on display. Uh, but that kids can play with recyclable stuff. I think crafting is going to continue to push forwards. I do feel personally we're a little bit peak board game because there's just so many things out there. You can only play so many. I see a solid year ahead. I think the outdoor market is going to be the one that really shines out. And for us, there's a lot of optimism and there has to be in the travel and tourism industry. Um, so we're going to kind of latch onto that and try and get lots more toys and board games installed in some really interesting places and spaces. Peter Jenkinson of Toyology, thank you so much for spending the time with us. I know people will appreciate these insights and I'm sure everybody is as optimistic looking ahead as you are. So thank you so much for your time. This is the Playground Podcast and we'll be right back with the end cap. 
And now we come to the part of the show that we call the end cap, where Richard and I toss about ideas that are going on in the toy industry right now. We're recording this on January 25th, and just this morning, NPD announced that the U.S. toy industry grew 16% in the in the past year, which is unprecedented because usually we're 1% to 2% up or down, and it's sort of been statistically flat for the past 15 or so years. So, Richard, what's your take on this? Well, Chris, first of all, it's good news, of course. But in fact, it's I find it to be startling news. And I, I'll tell you why I say that, Chris. I, I went back and looked. In the last time the toy industry was in double digits for an increase was in 1992. Since that time, we're kind of up single digits or down single digits. So this is a black swan event. I mean, because that's almost 30 years ago. And I think it would be extremely important that NPD be very transparent on how they came up with this number because it's so unusual. And by their own admission, I think they say they represented 70-some percent of, of the toy industry that's tracked. And, and they said in their press release that if that would even be higher if they had counted all those accounts. But yet, Chris, as, as many of us all know, uh, it hasn't all been good news for the toy industry this year. Um, those who did business with the major retailers did very, very well. Uh, those who had the money to invest in the inventory did very well. Those who had the logistics in place that were able to work around some of the bottlenecks did very, very well. On the other hand, we know that the specialty market uh, suffered terribly this year. Uh, we know there's other accounts in the toy industry that did not fare well. So it's not that I don't believe the number, but I sure would feel a lot more comfortable having NPD be very transparent on how they constructed this number. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that it was a surprising number because as of the end of last year, a lot of Wall Street analysts were projecting that we were probably going to see a 7% increase, which was a lot. So we have, we have surpassed that by a factor of more than two. So I think that that's, that's significant. And I think you bring up an important point regarding what happened in the specialty market and what happens with inventory reduction. And going into 2021, I don't think we're going to have anywhere near the kind of comps that that this kind of year would have would have indicated, especially as you see things like freight prices going up so exponentially. Accepting this, this percentage uh, as it is and looking for reasons, one of the, the big reasons was that it appears, Chris, that people who didn't spend money going to Disney World or, or wherever, spent money on uh, elevating their home uh, entertainment. And that meant investment in a lot of outdoor equipment. There were trampolines hugely in demand. Swing set sales went way up. So although uh, the uh, unit sales stayed the same this year, we had a shocking increase in the average per, per unit retail which is really good news. Now, to your point, if I bought a swing set in 2020, do I need a new swing set in 2021? If I have a trampoline, do I need another trampoline? Another element I think that helped elevate sales was the uh, additional checks that went out from the government. It was very pleasing and somewhat shocking again 
that when people who got these checks spent them, some of that money on toys. And these are people who needed the checks to, to pay for food. And so I, I think that it really speaks to the element, the notion of toys as an essential item. I think when you consider everything that was going on last year, the boom in jigsaw puzzles, the boom in board games, all of that really did make people, as you suggested before, more home-centered, more entertainment-centered, and looking for novelty. And in many cases, that came from toys. So we're going to have to wait and see as to whether or not that's going to continue in 2021. It really depends on how the vaccines roll out and how we get to the point where we go back to whatever normal is going to be. What I think helped benefit the toy industry actually was when the video game industry finally began to ship the consoles, they ran into that logistics roadblock that the toy industry has been experiencing and, and product just didn't flow to market. So I think the video game industry missed a lot of sales. So with that product flowing into the market, I think we're going to, we will see some impact this year from video game consoles on toy purchases. We have had a very active first three weeks of the year. I hear the numbers are very good. Are they sustainable into the year? Well, uh, could be, but but on the other hand, uh, I think we're going to start running into some puzzling game numbers from last year. And as I said earlier in our broadcast, do I need two swing sets? <laughs> right. um, Chris, I, th I think what's really important for uh, we as a toy industry uh, to, to step back a little bit and say, you know, we're not all Hasbro and Mattel and Walmart and Target, that we're a very, very big industry. And that not all boats rose on this wave. And uh, we have, uh, as an industry, uh, though uh, our numbers are robust overall, uh, they were definitely winners and losers this year. And so we should be very pleased, but I think we should be circumspect and not getting too excited about this and overestimating what it means for the future. I agree. And I think we're going to have to see how shopping patterns change, how consumption patterns change. And when they go back to doing things that are not necessarily home centered, what is the impact going to be on toys? So while there's a lot to celebrate this year, it's always a time to keep innovating, keep looking forward and responding to the market as it is and not taking the past market necessarily as definitive. The final thing to, to bear in mind is some of the stuff that NPD said was hypothetical. They said perhaps hitting 30 billion for the first time in history, but we don't have the data to support that. And that's highly optimistic and we'd love that to happen, but probably not this year. So of course we're gonna wait and see what happens. As you said, the year's off to a strong start. And we're looking forward to more episodes of the Playground Podcast. We certainly thank you for listening. I'm Chris Byrne with Richard Gottlieb, and we are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the Toy Guy, and marketing and media agency Chizcom. We will see you next time.